Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, we're doing our COVID-19 online learning experience with our students here at Wisconsin Lutheran College. If you're a subscriber of Let the Bird Fly, thank you. Keep subscribing. I know we're pushing out a lot of content right now. You can ignore a lot of that or change the way that uh, your, your subscription works, but please don't unsubscribe. It's important in the podcast world that we have our subscribers. Today, we're doing uh, a lesson for Theology 105. Introduction to Scripture, and we have gotten um, to the end of Acts, and so we're going to talk about St. Paul's arrest, his quote-unquote fourth missionary journey. We're also going to just briefly touch on resurrection apologetics, and then we have some what we call theology days, where we've been talking about this already, and and our, our students are familiar with this, but we're just going to uh, review again what we call soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So Paul is on trial. Um, he has made enough noise here, and he is the persecutor of Christians who has now turned to a great missionary of Christianity. And the, the powers to be don't like that very much. And so he is thrust onto trial before uh, Festus and Agrippa, and um, uh, he has been thrown into prison. But um, they are, they're willing to take this uh, Jewish person and persecute him and not give him due process. But as a citizen of Rome, he finally plays that card and says, you wouldn't harm a Roman citizen, would you? Right? And, whoop, and everybody's like, well, we better give him due process now. And so he's going to be on trial and he eventually appeals to Rome, which is our, his, their Supreme Court type thing all the way to the Emperor Caesar Augustus. What's interesting about his trial is that he is claiming that Jesus rose from the dead and people are incredulous to that. And you have non-Jewish leaders who are running this trial, much like Jesus was put before Pilate. And um, they say, there's no way you can, are you trying to convince us of this miracle, of this, this Christianity thing? And, and Paul answers in a very profound way. He says, these things were not done in a corner. You can go look at this evidence. You can go to the eyewitnesses accounts. This Google is, it. This is not. Yeah, they Google it. I, what What did they call Google back then? They must have had a different word for Google. Something and they call it like name. Joe. Something like that. Ask Joe about it. That ask dude Joe knows everything. That. Yeah. Um, go go ask uh, go ask Cornelius. Right. Ask Jeeves. Ask Cornelius. Yeah. Something. I think they had different search engines Probably. back then. Yeah. Um, it was an open economy, free markets back then. And he says. Basically, he's saying, listen, this is not some weird sect, right? This is not just me trying to change, you know, get a bunch of followers and, and, and eventually have them drink the Kool-Aid. This stuff happened. You can go verify it. And so this is the Christian claim that St. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15, which our students were supposed to read for this class. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the whole thing falls apart. There is... There is nothing redeemable about a resurrection-less Christianity. There are some Christians who like to think that, uh, uh, especially in the last couple centuries, who would say, yeah, we don't believe in all that stuff, miracles and virgin's birth and resurrection from the dead, but we still want to maintain some of this culture and morality of the Christian church. And St. Paul says, yeah, no. Like, if you show me the dead bones of Jesus, then the gig is up. There's nothing. And in fact, he says, we should be pitied more than all men if we believe this. Your faith is futile if you believe this. We're lying to you, and you're an idiot if you believe us. And so St. Paul is very much not this kind of 
typical sect leader, right? A cult leader who says, you just uh, take me at my word. Don't take me at my word. Look at the facts. There are eyewitness accounts who saw Jesus dead and then who saw him alive, right? Go interview those people like you would do in any other court case. And so in this legal setting where G where Paul is on trial, he makes what the Greeks called an apology, an apologetic. He makes a defense, a legal defense for his case. Think of a lawyer making an argument, showing evidence. And there's rules of evidence. Some things are thrown out because of, you know, they were obtained illegally or there was a, there was a problem with, um, with uh, uh, the custody of the facts, the custody of the evidence, the, the chain of custody we would call it today. Um, and so he's making this argument, a legitimate argument that Jesus actually rose from the dead and that changes everything. Well, Paul's eventually going to be put on a ship and he's going to sail to Rome. Um, they go south under the island of Crete, but, and they're going to harbor there. Um, but they get blown by, um, uh, by, a, by a wind, northeasterner wind, right? And then they, they are traveling uh, through the Mediterranean, barely hanging on. And then they crash land on Malta, and uh, there, um, uh, there is this scene with a poisonous snake, right, that bites, and uh, uh, and Paul is able to to uh, cure the person who was bitten, and um, and then eventually he makes it up to to Rome, where he's going to be on house arrest the rest of his life, and we don't know this with absolute certainty, but we're pretty sure historically we know that he would have died in the Neronian persecution. So think about 64 to 68 AD. Um, from there, Paul is going to be writing letters. He has written letters before this as well, but there are going to be letters that he has, has written, and that's going to be the basis for our unit four when we get into the epistles, most of them written by St. Paul. I'd like to switch gears here and talk about resurrection apologetics, which we've already mentioned. Think apologetics as a defense, using reason to defend the claims of Christianity. Um, so if I'm a, an apologetic for, um, I don't know, some politician, that means I'm making a defense for that politician or that way of thinking. So St. Paul does this in a couple of different ways. He already talked about this with, with uh, uh, before he Agrippa and Festus. In Athens... In his uh, second missionary journey, he gets on Mars Hill, a famous hill there by the, uh, the Parthenon, and he, and he debates the philosophers of the day. He quotes the poets of the Greeks back to the Greeks. And he says, he, in fact, he says, I was in your marketplace and I see that you have, you have many different shrines to different gods. And, and I even noticed that you had a, a shrine to an unknown God, like the, the ultimate God that's up there, the orderer kind of thing. Maybe they were just trying to um, uh, cover all their bases. And St. Paul says, let me make this unknown God known to you. And they're, they're talking along, you know, they're listening to this philosophy. But the thing that, that trips them up is the resurrection from the dead, right? And so this is the key. If you can prove the resurrection of the dead beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, if you can make an argument that the, this is this is plausible, if not even probable, um, that breaks down a barrier, and then the Holy Spirit then can work faith into the heart of that skeptic. I mean, he could have worked it before, but yeah, but you're you're, you're able to get to the gospel because he stops objecting to stuff, right? And so we're not saying you argue anybody into faith. Nobody believes that. That's just this is not how faith. There's some works. people on the internet that I think some people, that. but uh, not real people. I mean, faith. Faith doesn't, you know, it's just not how faith works. The vast majority of people 
whatever religion, whatever denomination, are not going to go down that road. But if someone comes up to you and says, I'm not going to believe in Jesus because, um, you know, he got married and beat his wife. You're like, wait a minute. He wasn't married at all, let alone beat his wife. What are you talking about? So if I can knock down in a reasonable way that barrier to the true message of Jesus Christ in a reasonable way, that's what we call about apologetics. And then hopefully there'll be a presentation of the gospel and the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. Now, um, when we think about apologetics, though, um, there's different varieties of apologetics. And by the way, this is going to be just a five minute kind of thing. It's not going to be anywhere close to what we do. So for listeners, there's, there's other episodes on this. And we have a whole class here at WLC for you freshmen that if you want to take that, it's called apologetics. And we go through this in depth and we're going to start with resurrection apologetics. There's other apologetics that are philosophical. So, um, you know, somebody had to begin this place. So therefore there must be something out there that would be a kind of a, a cosmological <coughs> argument for the existence of God. And they're fast throwing out big words today. Yeah, I like it. They're fascinating. They're beautiful. Um, but the one I like the most resurrection apologetics gets us to Jesus, right? Doesn't get us to just some force or some, some personal God maybe, or maybe even a God that is intelligent and stuff like that, but it's still far away from the grace that we find in Jesus Christ. There's also what we call soft-minded apologetics or tender-hearted apologetics. Think of uh, literature. Think of just our uh, movies that you watch that that touch upon things that are that that have to do with the soul and love and stuff like that. Is there something out there? Those are different paths to think about um, the existence of God. So resurrection apologetics is this: Jesus was dead. Everybody agrees with that. 99.99% of the people who are rational are going to believe Jesus actually dead because the Romans knew how to kill people. They're good at it. And if you didn't, as a soldier, do your job and kill people, you may get killed, right? Right. Just about... Or every, lose a week of vacation at least. <laughs> every historic... I mean, where would they vacation? Like Joppa? Or? Oh, where's that place in Spain everybody goes to? That could be. Like the regular soldier... Yeah, would be, begins with an eye or something when a regular soldier gets gets his two weeks i assume they all got two weeks vacation where do they go i would assume the government mandated at least two weeks yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe alexandria huh? that's a nice place I there's beaches on the mediterranean be, go lay on the beach carthage at certain points in time maybe throw some salt well before the before the salt although yeah, that salt came pretty early didn't it yeah, yeah. sicily was there mafia there then? Not yet. Not yet. That was that came after Google. Go have some that lasagna. Came, that came after Google. Yeah. Lasagna did too. You want to know why? Why? Tomatoes actually came from South America. And so uh, tomatoes are not uh, from Well, maybe Italy. they made it with like uh, something some, else. Some kind of sauce. Could be. The flat noodles, what we're talking about. All historians also agree that Jesus was buried. All historians, basically. If you, if you could have invented... One noodle, one kind. What what would it have been? Angel hair. Mm. I think I would have gone with like the alphabet soup type noodle. Why? Because stop? noodles that you can send messages with is yeah. a game changer. Like a, I mean, they have like what we would call emoji noodles too. Like you can get like Star Wars noodles. You know. I'm an old school. Let's communicate with uh, with letters. Like would it? What about like Roman numeral chicken soup? Roman numerals. Do you think they had that back that then? That could have been helpful for yeah. 
teaching kids how to count and stuff. I still, I'd go with the alpha, English alphabet. I, you know, and, I'm a homer for for my well, alphabet. And and Arabic numbers are going to be easier too, right? American numbers, Mike. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, do we have like, like freedom numbers or something <laughs> yeah. like that? <laughs> eat your freedom fries. Eat, uh, eat, yeah. All right. All historians also agree that there were people who believed that Jesus rose from the dead. So those are pretty much non-disputed facts. So then we ask ourselves, if I'm an historian or if I'm like a cold case detective, if I'm looking at ancient texts and I want to figure out what actually people were thinking and believing back then, I asked to ask myself the question, there was a very large number of people who believed that Jesus rose from the dead and had eyewitness accounts of this. Well, what would be their motive? When we lie, and like I'm a good liar, I've been lying for 40, almost lie, 42 lie. years. Yeah, You've been that. lying for 42 years too. What? Um, when have I lied to you? Well, maybe not to me, but you would admit that you and I are good liars, right? Because yeah, you I've know, lied to you actually a lot. Because we are human beings, right? Right, And we tend to lie for three things, money, sex, and power. And you may say about like revenge or- I've only ever lied to you for one of those, for power. <laughs> for, for power, yeah. To maintain um, my I, grip on I, power in the theology getting, department. I ain't got no money. Um, <laughs> if you were thinking about like lying to make yourself good, look good, or revenge, I'd put that under power. What do the disciples gain for this so-called ruse? It's not like all of a sudden they got this entourage, right? Like they, they have all these women hanging on them. It's not like they got rich on it. That's why I went into the ministry, though. It's got, they got no power. They get rich. They got no power. In fact, what did they gain but persecution? I do have a 10-year-old right. pickup truck. So. With ministry money. We have pretty good reason. And an iPhone. We have pretty good reason to believe. Even got myself a lady. That Jesus. I don't think she likes me that much. And the apostles. But I got her had no reason to fake this resurrection. They didn't gain anything from it, right? Like, I don't want to brag, Wade, but I'm kind of a legal expert because I've watched every Law & Order episode. Even the uh, spinoffs? Not the spinoffs. Like SVU and no, Criminal Intent. I do like Criminal Intent, but... That I was my favorite one to be honest, yeah. Now, I know that if an eyewitness gets up on the on the stand, by the way, this doesn't actually happen in reality, but... Uh, and I'm gonna run with it. That person has made a deal. Yeah, and I like when they've made the deals in the episodes, but then you know they've made the deal, but yeah. other people there yeah. don't know that they've made it. So if I am the defense lawyer and I'm like, so you were there when this crime happened? What kind of deal did you get to rat out my my client? I'm thinking that you did it, right? Mm -hmm. And and so that is not a credible witness. But if there's a witness up there who speaks the truth. And puts themselves into danger, like it's a mob trial or whatever. That's a credible witness because they didn't gain anything for it. And so this is not a home run, but it does work against the accusation that this was made up by by people so that they could gain power. And that's a, actually a legitimate, not a legitimate, but that's an actual real argument that is uh, that is out there. Now, the same could be said for Jesus, right? Like, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually believe that he was the Messiah. He never really said, I am God. Well, we've been through this before. He did say, I am quite a few times. He was on trial for blasphemy. He was called Lord. They tried to stone him for it in John 8. He said, you know, the Sabbath was made um, by God, not, you know, not for man, not for God. He's claimed divinity all over the place. 
So the question becomes about Jesus then, well, maybe he, maybe he's a liar. Well, what is he going to gain for that? Right? He doesn't gain anything for it. Well, maybe he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Well, there's no evidence that he was a lunatic. In fact, uh, Albert Schweitzer did a doctorate dissertation on, can we prove that Jesus was crazy? And the answer was no. Um, maybe he was just a legend. Well, nobody really believes that. I mean, these things are factual. We know that Jesus existed. For the most part, everybody agrees with that. And so there's only one option left, that he is Lord Almighty. And this is important because if he said the Old Testament scriptures were God's word, inerrant, reliable, sufficient, no lies. If he said that he would send the Spirit to teach uh, the apostles what to write down, basically, I'm, I'm reading between the lines there, then we can rely on the Bible. And so we're not in circular logic, which says, I believe because the Bible says so. Well, you know, that, that's, you know, how do you trust the Bible? Well, because it's God's word. How do you know? Because it says so. You're in circular logic. But I get out of circular logic when I say I trust the Bible because Jesus said it's trustworthy and he rose from the dead. And I'm going with the guy who rose from the dead and not anybody else. Now, you may be wondering, well, geez, this all depends on that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we've been reading. It's actually an actual depiction of what we have what actually happened in first century Palestine. And that's a legitimate question. But the fact remains that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the textual evidence that we have, and we won't get into the weeds. You got to take the apologetics class with me or, or, or uh, uh, find out um, through other podcasts. Um, some of which that we have produced also 1517 has some great po podcasts on this. Um, and I did spell much of this out in the notes, the, the packets that you have, students. The fact remains that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the textual evidence we have, is far superior than any other text of the time. For instance, we have over 5,600 scraps of piece of paper of the, of the original language text, right? So I'm not talking about translations or, or quotes or whatever, but copies of the Bible. We don't have the original, what we call autographs that when Matthew put pen to paper, because that would have been written on papyrus and it's just like, it doesn't stand the test of time. It fades away. Um, but we have these copies that we can put together and we are, we are sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what Matthew actually said. There's a few cases where we don't know, maybe the, the copyist made an error, but none of those have to do with the doctrine. And, and we can be, we're sure about this is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said. And the gap between the first copies and the events is actually pretty small. It seems like a lot, but it's actually not small. We think it from like 150, pretty more like 250 years, but that's not a problem. Um, uh, just as a comparison, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, which is a famous um, uh, document from that time it talks about Julius Caesar going into modern day France and, and his wars up there. The gap is of, of, a, of, of legitimate copies that ones that are, that are full enough that we can count, um, like 950 years. And we have like 10 to a dozen copies compare that with the 5,600 copies and the small period between the autographs and the copies. Nobody goes around saying, who knows if Julius Caesar ever existed. This whole empire thing is just a fraud. It's fake news or whatever. If you're going to be honest, you have to get rid of pretty much everything we know about Egypt, Greece, Rome, Babylon, everything else. But we don't say that. We take the text 
with some skepticism, but we take them at face value for the most part. And so if you're going to be honest, you have to take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as legitimate history. And it does uh, uh, stand those tests that we that we use to see if an ancient document is credible. Much more to that story. Consider taking Philosophy 202 Apologetics in your career here. Um, it does count for a, a theology uh, credit. Um, you don't know how you can take it extra for a gen. It does count as a general education credit too, but it's a fun class, and I think you would enjoy it. And we go through this in detail, and it's pretty interesting. Okay, totally switching gears right now to some theological, what we call systematic theology. We're putting things into order, like a like a system, and we're going to talk about soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So wait, I'm going to do justification and sanctification really quick, and then maybe you can uh, you can tell us about like vicarious atonement, redemption, ransom, all that kind of stuff. Justification, as you know already, students, is the idea that we are made just or right. So we use this term in everyday language. If I have to justify a decision that I'm trying to make it valuable, I'm trying to make it right and just, righteous. So if I buy a, a $50,000 speedboat, I need to justify that purchase to my wife. And I'm not going to be able to, right? Why wouldn't she? Well, the only way is like we won the lottery, but I'm pretty sure she'd be like, mm, that's the first thing you bought? Yeah, but speedboats are pretty cool. Man, it sounds like a lot of trouble, though. You just have to take her out on it once, I think. But if I'm that rich, I would rent out a speedboat, is what I'm saying. Why would you rent anything if you were rich? You know what we're doing right now? We're trying to justify our opinions, right? This is what we're talking about. You know what? If I get rich, I'm going to buy you the speedboat. Well. And then she can't get mad. I don't want the trouble, though. No, and I mean, then we'll go out. We'll race our speedboats together. Do you not remember Mace and P. Diddy telling us that mo money means mo problems? That was Notorious B.I.G., wasn't it? No, that was... It was Puff. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it's Smalls. I think it was Puff Daddy <coughs> and Mace. All right, you look that up while I talk about justification. So theologically, we mean that we Taurus are. Taurus B.I.G. More money, more problems. But. P Diddy and Mace did rap about money, but I don't think. Look up. Single by the Notorious B.I.G. Look up. Yeah, he said it, but look up the song. Yeah, it was his song. But Mace and. Puff Daddy at that I point. I even put in Mace, and it's with the cash sign, and it uh, still still brings up Notorious B.I.G. All right, I'm going to take your word for it right now, but I, I have it on my phone. They dance in it. Biggie Smalls, More Money, More Problems, and the picture is of Mace and P. Diddy dancing to it. Okay. So Although I believe he was Puff Daddy then. Right, it was Puff Daddy at that point. I do know that. So can we agree that we're both sort of right? You were more right than I was. I'm more right. Okay, As excellent. long as we agree that I was more right. So by this process, we're trying to justify who is right, who is righteous. And I was more righteous. Though. You were more righteous than I was in this situation. Now, the problem with this is you cannot justify your value, your existence, your uh, your track record before God, as you like to say. Remember that God has a transcript of, of your inner thoughts and your browser history, right? So I can't justify myself by law. I need to be justified from an outside source. This is the message of the whole Bible. So Jesus comes down and is perfect in our place and he justifies us. So you can also think about this in a legal term, uh, a legal scene. So I'm on trial and there's evidence that is mounted against me and the prosecutor, which by the way is the devil, the devil's very pious. And he says, uh, Mike Berg, 
is certainly guilty. And he says to God, who's the judge, by your law, if you're a just and fair God, you have to punish this person. And the gavel's about to go down, but then Jesus, my lawyer, stands up. He's called our advocate. And he stands up and he says, I'm going to make a deal with the court. Take my righteous life and give it to the account of my client. And then I'll take the punishment on myself. And the gavel goes down and I'm declared not guilty. And so that's why we say justification is being declared not guilty. I'd be so relieved for you in that moment. Thank you. And sanctification then can broadly be this idea of the whole work of the Holy Spirit saving us, giving us faith so that we're righteous by faith. We believe it. We don't reject it. Um, But narrow view of sanctification is the holy works that righteous people go and do. So remember, students, that we are simultaneously sinner saints, that I'm 100% sinner and 100% saint. The math doesn't work out, but it sure explains my life, right? And so a, a sinner is a slave to sin, cannot help but do bad things. Uh, it's dead in sin. You can't, a dead person can't come alive by themselves. But the saint, that is who I ultimately am. And that saint is, cannot help but do righteous things. Just like the sinner cannot help but sin. So the righteous person is a slave to righteousness. And so this narrow view of sanctification, think holiness, sanctification, sanctus, sanctuary. Those are words that have to do with, with holiness, set apartness. The, the saint does these holy things, and that is the small sanctification. And we dare never mix the two. We dare never say, my holy acts mean that I am justified before God, because then we're in the system of being judged by law. That would be a righteousness by law system that is a dead end for us. Now, when we talk about salvation, soteriology, there's different ways to think about them, but they're really like two sides to the same coin. Um, we may think we've already talked about it in a forensic way. I trespass, but I'm declared not guilty because my lawyer makes a deal. But we may also think about it as atonement or vicarious atonement. Wait, I'm going to set you up for that. What, what do we mean by vicarious atonement? Um, we both kind of messed with those things. You're hearing me, right? Uh, we're good. Okay. I'm just getting it in one ear in my headphones, but, um, by vicarious atonement? Yeah. Uh, what we mean by vicarious atonement, and here sometimes people will talk about penal substitution, and that is kind of a different thing, although it builds off it. Um, and thank you, you just fixed it. Um, is uh, vicarious being when one's a vicar of someone, they're a substitute for someone, they're they're filling in their, their for in, them. In the place of, yeah. And then atonement, the idea of, in the Old Testament, that sacrifice has been made to make uh, two parties at odds at peace again. Uh, so it has a, a belt, built-in reconciliation idea. Um, and so this would be like a, uh, um, was it 2 Corinthians 5? Christ is reconciling the world to himself. That's not 1 Corinthians, right? That's 2 Corinthians 5 is excommunicate the sexually immoral man. Um, so the idea that Christ in our place has reconciled us to God. Uh, as far as the idea of um, Christ being punished in our place, that God's mercy and justice must meet. Um, that's more penal substitution that the punishment is being given. The emphasis on vicarious atonement um, is that, that Christ is uh, the Lamb who goes on complaining forth in our place. By his stripes we are healed. And he's righteous in our place as well, right? We are at right. one atonement with God because he takes our place. Another one to think about is redemption. And a part of this is ransom. So redemption means to buy back. Um, so... <clears throat> 
I think that the easiest way to think about this is um, I, as a sinner, am held captive. I am I'm a hostage, and there's a hostage situation going on. And um, the devil and has I me. I don't have money to ransom you because I bought that speedboat. I'm right. really kicking myself right now. And you're going to sell it. but you're I bought get... two speedboats. I bought one for you and one for me. And you're going to sell it, but in this climate, you're going to get pennies well, on I the dollar. I can't sell it because I feel like to yeah. try to think of a plan to help you, but even if you I'm going to have to go on the speedboat, yeah. get the wind through my but, hair. I think I'd do my best thinking. Even if you did, uh-huh. you get pennies on the dollar in an economy like this. So it's uh, very true. Because yeah. who in a pandemic is going to buy a speedboat? Right. Right. Well, unless somebody is rich enough and says, I just want to get out of here so I don't get the coronavirus. Right. Uh, and get there fast. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm a hostage. The devil's got me. If any of you students have... Uh, now, if you were hostage on a boat, <laughs> like a normal boat, then you would... Then I, that speedboat would be handy because I'd try to catch up. Who would be your crew? Peter and Ben. Yeah, that'd be great. Ben would be doing like the GPS stuff, the internet GPS. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I feel like I'd rely on uh, Peter for the ideological ideological justifications for whatever I had to do to save you. Maybe take Gabe. Gabe would be good. Who is the one-year-old son of Peter. Peter, <coughs> by the way, for our students, is the husband of Professor Hermanson here. Yeah, but he's also co-host on the show who never comes on it anymore. Yeah, and used to teach here adjunctly in yes. the philosophy department. Okay. That's why I would use him to really philosophize hard while I was mostly thinking about the... Uh, I don't Logistics. know that would be helpful. Like he's got a gun in a, in his hand and he's ready to. He does. Peter doesn't. I own a gun. Peter does not own a gun. We've talked him, about that. But if you give he's him, a bad libertarian. If you give him the gun and and like, dude, you got to shoot the the uh, you know the bad guy. And, I think that's and Gabe's then, job. And then he starts thinking about how do I justify this? And by that time, it's the whole uh, thing's lost. Gabe Gabe has the weapon. Gabe has to do it. All right. Now I'm gonna prop him up so he doesn't have to hold so it. I'm held hostage. The mm-hmm. devil's got me. I'm on a speedboat. And by the way, I'm not pure in this. I was messing around. It's my sin that got me. You had me gambling this. debts. Yeah, I, it's my fault. You're betting on the horses. So, by the way, students, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Volume Two, this is this is the picture here, right? And so, the White Witch has got the children, and um, um, the hot. Our Lord is not like a superhero in America, in American movies. He negotiates with terrorists, so to speak. And he says, I'm going to put my life in place of the life of Mike. And so there's a switch going on and Jesus dies in my place and I go free. Now what the devil should you, have known. You're saying that, you know what this made me think of, and Mike? D- hold on. And does know is that Jesus is going to be resurrected, right? And this is Aslan, the, the lion in that, in that children's book. So this is the, rede- the redemption, and the, and the ransom price is blood. And we, as we've talked about before, freedom's never free, and the going rate for freedom is always blood. And for this, it's got to be divine blood. Okay, go ahead. When you said, you know, it's your life, whatever, I thought of what music I would want playing yeah. on the speedboat while I was yes. trying to rescue you. you know what it is? It's my life. Bon Jovi? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be like the most awesome music to have going while I'm chasing too bit, after you? Too bitch you don't have any... It's my life. Too bitch you don't have hair to, it's now. to flow in the wind and you don't have... Do, can you wear like Miami Vice... Do you have any Miami Vice white clothes? Beach clothes? No. I'd I, be wearing a hoodie and, and jeans. I would suggest that you go shopping today just in case this happens. I'm social distancing. Well, you just keep those clothes I on buy the all my clothes at Kohl's and Kohl's is closing their stores. Well, 
when they open, just in case, and then you have some beachwear for your boat. You don't you don't have to keep it. But it is a good song, you gotta admit. It's all right. For the that situation is a situation, phenomenal song. That's absolutely great. Okay. All right. Listen, that's enough fun for today. Uh, you have the stuff in front of you. Make sure that you're doing the, the reading and make sure you have those terms. We didn't go through all of them, but make sure you have those terms right. We've been talking about it all semester, so you, you got it down. We just wanted to review that. Um, so this is our last session in Unit 3, by the way. And so uh, um, on uh, our next thing that you're going to do for our class is going to be the Unit 3 test. And uh, you'll be fine. You guys are smart. So until then, the next time when we get into Unit 4, let the bird fly.